the surface of planets and moons in 3D and also a writer and composer interested in space and society. Hi, I'm a I'm Ellie Armstrong. I'm also interested in space and society. I'm finishing my PhD in the sociology of space science in museums and galleries in London. Um, I also do a lot of work around taking academic research out into the wider world to make it more accessible. Great. Um, and so you, you, I think you were both behind this letter going out or you're helping disseminate it, um, that really making this call that because of the coronavirus crisis and the state of research, but also the impact it's had on people's health and the health of loved ones as well. Like there really needs to be a change to timelines and funding for early career people, um, especially those with disabilities. Uh, could you like uh, speak to that? Yeah. So, um, I've actually been involved with this uh, as one of the original organizers. Uh, so we, back in the very day of our conference, actually, May 14th, um, so it was a group of disabled PhD students who wrote an open letter regarding specific re reasonable adjustments for disabled, chronically ill, and neurodivergent PhD students due to the coronavirus. Um, so this started from... And I'll give her credit, it's from Zara Bain at UCL uh, with Philosophy, who organized this. Um, so she got a lot of very, very angry disabled PhD students in a group chat on Twitter and said, listen, we have to make some demands. And we threw together uh, 11 primary demands um, and drummed up a lot of attention very quickly. And um, I don't know the current number of signatories, but it's just around 2,000. Mm. And um, so, which was just so fantastic. And I personally feel very humbled by that. Um, and then we delivered this to UKRI and um, I think some other organizations as well. UKRI. And as a part of this. Oh, uh, Forgive me being American. What does what does UKRI stand for? The UK Research Institutions, right? Oh no, UK Research and Innovation. So they're the funding body yeah. for um, okay. for most PhDs, I think, um, in academia. So uh, so our demands include uh, funded extensions that are on automatic. So we're not advocating for any sort of means testing, which uh, in the disabled world is called wasting our time. Um, <laughs> so uh, generally just granting funded extensions of six months for all PhD students, not just final year students. So UKRI um, essentially said we can give like three to six months to final years, which doesn't really take into account that all PhD students are being affected. Exactly. Um, and so that was for everyone, not just for disabled students, but we said especially students already registered as disabled with their universities. Um, and then on top of that, ending requirements for case-by-case -case applications for COVID support, uh, which generally speaking, um, as disabled people, whether in the U.S. or in the U.K., we tend to have to deliver a lot of evidence of our disability, how it impacts us um, to various organizations, the government, hospitals, whatever, and it takes so much time and it takes so much expense and they're really difficult and they often uh, have access barriers as well. Um, so we're saying no case-by-case -case applications. You just believe people pretty much, which uh, is a low bar, but actually very difficult for universities to take on. Um, and then ending 
Number three was ending the sector-wide presumption that sick leave, medical leave, or other suspension of studies is not not only non-discriminatory, but a best practice first-line approach to supporting disabled students. So essentially, universities have told a lot of people, why don't you just take some time off? Instead of saying, hey, we will give you an extension, right? So they're telling disabled students, you take time off. They're telling other people, okay, we'll give you an extension, right? And um, some of that comes with, well, we can't tell whether it's because of COVID that, uh, that you need this time off because you're disabled or sick or neurodivergent. Um, and this is also really difficult. So I'm international and I'm also self-funded uh, and I can't take time off because that threatens my visa. So there have been cases where international students are told, take time off, they take time off, and then they get notice that their <laughs> visa status is in trouble, yeah. right? So some of these universities say, you know, your visa status is protected, but it's kind of wishy-washy. There is no legal... Uh, protection in that regard we don't know Mm -hmm. so for example I've been very ill the past several months Um, I'd love to take time off (laughs) but I would have to go back to the U.S. right and I probably wouldn't be able to come back so uh, that's not reasonable and of course all of these are again case-by-case situations where you have hundreds to thousands of students in this situation that can't reasonably spend all of the time to do all of this bureaucratic work to just have basic rights. Um, so number four is uh, specific provisions for international students um, to have like clear guidance on our visas. And then robust support for self-funded or unfunded PhD students, of which there are many. So making sure that uh, we also get extensions or we get uh, fee waivers or something else that makes up for the fact that we are in the same boat as everyone else. Yeah. Um, provision of AIDS adaptations and adjustments for those working from home, because that's not something that's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and technically with the universities, you have to apply to the DSA uh, to get provisions. And that itself is a long bureaucratic process. And a lot of people DSA are being, suddenly... Sorry, dis- um, disabled students... Uh, Advisory? I think so. I think it's that. <laughs> allowance. Yeah. Allowance. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's a pot of money that all the universities have to provide um, uh, essentially grants, like if you if you need uh, adaptation equipment. Um, so a lot of people are finding themselves in a situation now working from home that they need this equipment, mm-hmm. but have not filed with the DSA. Uh, so we want to be, be able to have some sort of streamlined way for people to get their adjustments. And then from that, um, also uh, a commitment to maintaining widespread and non-exceptional remote, digital, or other distance access to university resources, spaces, and events. Um, so some universities have said, we'll go into the library for you, but it's, it's not really like a, a blanket thing that disabled students have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also making sure that uh, there is some sort of statement of commitment that that ensures that we don't have a particular detriment relative to non-disabled peers. Um, And from there on guidance uh, and um, remuneration for uh, fixed term contract staff. So that's something we've also built in and has been an issue with COVID. So we are demanding immediate contractual, contractual guarantee of two years work at or above current level of remuneration for all university fixed term contract staff. And then publication for any impact assessments. So this is pretty comprehensive. And sorry for the the lengthy uh, diatribe here. But um, 
we we were looking at you know this isn't just about disabled students and access for disabled people is always about everyone mm-hmm. right um this is always going to be about contract workers who are precarious this is always going to be about bereavement right this is always going to be about people who are carers mm-hmm. um so we wanted to make sure that our demands focused on these needs of everybody which are, of course, particularly hitting disabled people, but it's not just about us. It's about everyone right now, mm-hmm. um, especially as we are vulnerable. Everyone is vul- vulnerable right now to, to illness. Yeah. And that's a unique position that we have where we can actually comment on that. We know what is necessary. Yeah. Um, so we delivered that to UKRI and they kind of gave us a trait email. They didn't email all of us. They just emailed one person and said, uh, you know, yeah, we um <laughs> Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> uh, they said, we're keen to get feedback. And that was it. Kind regards. And yeah, didn't copy anyone else in. We had UCU in our original email. We had, mm-hmm. um, so we had like people That's who were watching the situation. Yes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a slap in the face. And right now we're writing a second letter that's expanding on all of, all of our demands with citations and everything. And UKRI says, well, yeah, we're, you know, we're waiting for your second letter, um, which, <laughs> which is, you know, university speak for, yep. okay, um, we'll bide our time, right? Yeah. So Deferral. It's, it's been a long process and um, we're working on the second letter. The main draft is done and we're working with a disability lawyer and unions as well to advise us and disabled uh, organizations. And it's been a long process and, I, you know, I just want to make a point at the end of this diatribe that it's it's disabled people who don't have the time and ability who are making the time with that lack of ability to do this incredible thing. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, our place in society. Like, we have to do the most work. Yeah. I mean, not the most work in society, but we just have to do so much work to fill out, say, bureaucratic things to get basic rights. But we are, <laughs> we are the people who don't have the ability to do that. And like... Um, so it's just been exhausting and most of us have been like bed bound during this whole process and just like typing angrily in our Twitter (laughs) DMs about various emails we're getting. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's the general lowdown on what's happening. Uh, (laughs) I like, I like your like carefree, like general lowdown. Like (laughs) (laughs) I can go, I can keep going. (laughs) I think it's like the paradox of, of, ostensibly having um, services available, that the sicker you are, the less likely you are to be able to advocate for yourself to get them. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if you're sick, they ask you for hospital letters. And for example, in the US, you have to pay for that. You have to pay for the appointments. You have to go physically go to the appointments. And right now during coronavirus, you should not be going to the hospital. Um, For, you know, as one example, I could keep going, but it, it is... Yeah, it's just the endless administrative BS that people are put through because they say, well, it's unfair if we give blanket whatever to everyone. And it's yeah. like, why? This is the exact moment to do it, yeah. if any. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think you got, you're we're also getting more mainstream attention, correct? I think there's something in The Guardian. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think we got a flurry of um, signatures after that. And um, I think we got some people on board on the team as well. But 
Yeah, no, that was really great. So The Guardian put out an article about our letter and also interviewing a couple of people about their experiences. Um, so yes, it's it's good to get press always. <laughs> I mean, depending on the press, but yeah, it was helpful. And we have a lot of more senior people who signed, I think. Um, and now it's great because we can link to an article and it's not just, oh, those disabled PhD students wrote a lengthy letter yet again, right? <laughs> it's something yeah. that... Uh, that people are paying attention to, so. Uh, it's just incredibly exhausting work and hopefully will end up being rewarding in the end. But I, get that, I think that's the sort of problem of this moment in general is that this is a moment for so much labor, so much activism, most of it not remunerated, all incredibly necessary, but also incredibly exhausting at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like you've been getting support from your discipline? Like, is it mostly, yeah, do you feel like there's ways that the institutions can, like your UCL can give you support or your department give you support mm -hmm. in relation to UKRIs or? Yeah, I think, and I was talking to my, to some folks in my department about this and also on a different podcast that um, it's just, it's hard to ever say, okay, university is doing well because then they just sit back on their laurels. But um, I've had people in my department who've been really great and they know that I can't take a break and they know that I've, I've personally had issues. Um, and then I also talked, so I'm on our equality committee for the department and I said, you know, it's, it's not really on, for example, you know, individually consulting with disabled students to fix this. It is about departments yeah. demanding from the universities to demand from the government um, uh, measures to tackle this, right? So we can say all we want, okay, UK, UKRI needs to essentially shell out money, mm -hmm. right? But that money has to come from somewhere. And who has the power to ask for that money? It is universities. Universities can put pressure on the funding bodies to make sure that that money is available. Um, so I think, and, and that can be built ground up. So it'd be great to have a lot more solidarity, I think with faculty and staff um, demanding from heads of department and then going up the chain and saying, listen, we need this money um, and we need these measures. We need these access measures, which tend to translate to money as it turns out. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really it. It would be really great if professors with, you know, platforms could make a, a big stink about this. Um, you know, mo most of this has been trying to be really uncomfortable about talking about disabled people, students, disabled students' lives. Because yeah. oftentimes disabled people aren't heard unless they get into the gruesome nitty gritty. And that is an activism tactic that has worked for the disabled community for decades. Um, so I think you know, I personally have been doing that in my department to no effect, but, uh, yeah, it, it would, it would be great to see a lot more, um, I think interdepartment solidarity as well. And I think being outside of the university, it's been difficult to connect across departments. Yeah. Um, having allies within the funding bodies would be fantastic. <laughs> and then, uh, do I feel supported? I can't really comment too much. I will say like, Yes and no. I think um, the past few weeks have been pushing me to want to quit my PhD. It has been making me think, you know, what are disabled students experiencing en masse across this country? Because it's it's not great. Yeah. So 
uh, I think as always just spreading the message and making, making people like really understand this is never just going to be about us. If they're never going to care about us, at least they can think, Oh wait, this actually pertains to me as well. Um, is really important right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think this also brings us even to the, the topics that we were talking about in the first part of the interview that like ableism is deeply intertwined with colonial injustices as well. Mm -hmm. And even just thinking about the UK and the history of our institution as the home of eugenics, that of Mm -hmm. course eugenics was racist, but it was also deeply ableist. It was sexist. Mm -hmm. It was cisnormative. Mm -hmm. Um, These things are all incredibly intertwined. Like there's so many um, famous women of color academics who were disabled during their careers and often Mm -hmm. end up dying young. Audre Lorde being one, for instance. Mm-hmm. I was thinking when you were talking Divya about like the difference of being in the physical space of UCL as well um mm. and that like there's and I guess like in the space of being like the 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 things that you list in the letter are maybe like not the uh not the things that people might expect when you talk about like advocating for disabled students yes. like because yeah. uh just before lockdown right there was the report that UCL published mm-hmm. that was much more about like access to physical spaces yes and perhaps this is like a letter that really foregrounds like more of the intellectual labor and like the mm-hmm. the like economic material like side of it when yes. often like discussion especially in universities is around like physical access to the buildings and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think like for me, when I read the letter, because I'm not uh, an author on the letter, when I read it, I was like really struck by the maybe the parts of the experience that I'm less familiar with and less I hear less about because they are not about like, can you get into the lecture theatre? Can you access the materials online? Can you go to the library? Mm-hmm. Which are always the yeah. things that UCL um, and other universities as well <laughs> foreground when they talk about yes. accessibility and like yes. supporting yeah, 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 yeah. accessibility. It's that social access that yep. institutions don't want to talk about. Not that they're not that any of their posturing about physical access means access because it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and that report, I think, really gets into it because you can have all the access measures you want, but if you have an ableist professor, you're not learning the material. And <laughs> that's a that's a whole another hour's rant for me. But um, yeah, and I think I think that's really important. There was some other. Uh, people were talking about demands and we consulted with some other letters that looked more at sort of the finite uh, individual experiences. And I think we wanted to have a bit more of a radical vision of, okay, what is the fundamental issue here? It is that (laughs) there is no money to pay us for the extra time that we need. Right. Um, You know, we, we have to file so much paperwork to get money to get, adjustments in our own homes Mm. right um and i think i i don't know hopefully hopefully that lands with people hopefully that sort of more radical vision lands with people not not that physical access doesn't matter but i'm saying that universities will want to distill it into these little things and that's why they love case by case as a model because it it is a neoliberal model, right? It is about mm-hmm. how disability is just in the individual. It is not a social class. It is not a material class of people. Yeah. Um, so any way they can dodge that, they will take it. PhD Diva's podcast has been going strong for five years. 
We are more excited than ever about the world of podcasting as academics. We want to keep bringing you great content, and to do that, we need your help with the cost of production. That's right, Zai. Through Patreon, you will support our 2020 vision for PC This Podcast. Better features, new equipment, and you'll get exclusive access to original content like the bloopers reel for this ad, by the way, and our reading list and outtake. Propose an episode. Get a special shout out. Yeah, exciting this is all going to be. Help us take the podcast to the next level. Click on the Patreon link to find out the many ways that you can support us. And as always, even if you can't support us financially, you can always help out by following us on Facebook and Twitter under Page Divas Podcast. It helps a lot when you rate us and write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. It reminds me, I, I read something recently about how there's been the transition in the area of disability studies from a medical model to the social model, but that mm. really where we need to go is the justice model. Mm. And I think that what you're talking about is to really articulate it because otherwise, as you, you're describing, it's easy to partition it yes. um, as, as, as localized mm. as opposed to like structural. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was having, I had a bit of a Twitter conversation with a prominent uh, decolonial scholar who said, um, you know, no one wants virtual classrooms. And I was like, well, you know, disabled people do. And she was like, uh, really? And then um, we had this conversation where she was like, yeah, but, you know, everyone has their own access needs, right? And it's it's this concept that, well, since everyone has different needs, we can't think of disability as a coherent thing. And that mm-hmm. idea is actually sourced in eugenics, right? That was a eugenicist talking point of Yes, they acknowledged disabled people were a class of people that they wanted to eliminate. But when you look at how policy treats disability on a case-by-case basis, where you fill out the paperwork and they leave you to die in your home, um, it's a eugenicist model. Mm. And we have to think, yeah, exactly. It's a justice model to think about, okay, it's embedded in law to individualize disability in a medical way. And that's an exterminatory model of, of our bodies. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been something on my mind recently, I think, of, of how entrenched that idea is that since we're so infinitely different from each other, there's no way to build access in our society, which is, which is not only discriminatory, it is, um, it is the elimination of us, of our lives. Mm-hmm. I guess one thing I'm thinking about a lot in this moment is a piece that went popular a number of years ago that's thinking about these intersections of disability. Uh, you may have read it, A Sick Woman Theory. Uh, I think so, maybe. I'm really bad at remembering oh, titles. It's okay. Here, okay. But... It's because like, I think we're talking about the, these forms of advocacy, but especially as, as we're recording this um, a number of weeks into the latest surge in Black Lives Matter protesting, that mm. there's also question of like what does activism look like and what does it mean to have politics in the street when you can't go into those particular spaces and I mm. think it's just a really eloquent piece by like a queer woman of color anarchist thinking of, about disability as so deeply tied to these other systems and questioning like the model that we have for thinking about engagement and politics but I would say Divya is like, a, a, like I'm going to recommend you wild, wildly on this podcast now, Divya. But like, I, I would say like, I'm always um, overwhelmed by how much like you like are an activist in the digital space. Um, 
and I'm I, I I'm like constantly really impressed and take a lot of inspiration from the way that you do that. Um, so I like definitely see some of that echoed in like not not necessarily like activism isn't just going to the protests. It's like mm-hmm. working on these letters like you do. It's changing the events that you produce like you do. It's about educating mm-hmm. other people how to do those things as well and like encouraging them and sharing that like knowledge, even though that is. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. maybe like difficult and energy intensive for you so I'm like constantly amazed yeah. by how much you really like take that on and like <laughs> I I like I haven't been talking much on this like part because Divya is like by far and away the better um uh better uh person to talk to these things and like much more the expert but like I'm by working with her I'm learning so much and I think that like that's what you said um about the the sick woman um theory mm. design is like something that I really see in like the way Divya pushes for change like in a real like, in a very real way um yeah. well I, th- thank you so much Ellie I, I do want to bring it back to the conference because I've been thinking also like and and tying into conversations happening now where people feel powerless because they're inside mm-hmm. and they're saying you know how do we be part of protest which is again and I I did look it up and I have read this um about the sick woman theory you know how do we take part in this social movement when we are inside our homes. And of course, disabled people have been talking about that for a while. So it's a really like um, beautiful thing to see people talk about ways that we can be part of the revolution when we're, when we're inside or in bed or sick or we're grieving, which is so important. And, um, and thinking back to the conference about, uh, so, you know, having troubles with my PhD and um, you know, I've been bed bound quite a lot since lockdown actually and how I've had trouble working on my thesis, but working on the conference worked really well because Ellie and I were able to find such a good balance of um, working together where we could pick up the slack from each other when we couldn't do something Mm -hmm. and how that was sort of like a radical, like a very small but very radical thing in our friendship where we could communicate that we couldn't do something and the other person could do it or we could find ways around it. And, um, and I think that was really magical. And I think something that's had me thinking about how we do academic work, how we do research collaborations yeah. that uh, they're often very stilted and one-sided or, um, you know, we don't talk about our bodily needs. We don't talk about our emotional needs. Like some, some days, like, you know, I would have an anxiety attack and I could just say that to Ellie and she would be like, okay, I'm writing these emails for you. Yeah. Or both of us were, would be under the weather and we would say, okay, well, we'll tackle this in, in this way when this comes up. And um, and that was that kind of, you know, access is a relationship, right, mm-hmm. between people. And I think I really learned that from Ellie. <laughs> so, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. You've said all these things about me, but I think I, I learned what really radical access meant by working with you. And I, I, that's given me so much insight on, you know, how how we can think about scholarship in the future yeah I think like I think in general I would say like our conference really has helped me think about what scholarship could look like in the future I really echo that like because uh my thesis has been quite a lot of work by myself which is also like I guess like you know a different kind of mental health problem which is just a lot of me sitting by myself um like thinking internally and so I guess also like I was thinking about how we can scaffold for you know, working with somebody around, not like, not like at odds with them, right? Which I think is like what your capture mm-hmm. there is like, we worked with ourselves together to get this to work. 
um, not against our bodies or against our like other commitments which was Mm -hmm. like yeah really yeah radical practice for me as well like I like Divya and I have talked about this before how like this is definitely a collaboration that is worked really well for us um and I'm really fortunate that we've been able to get this to work Mm -hmm. well thank you so much Divya and Ellie I think it's like this is for me such a great interview not only in the content but clearly again like the way that you're modeling this type of solidarity and type of activism in the work that you do but I even noticed like the way that you kept making space for each other in the conversation and checking in with each other back and forth. And I think that was, that was very lovely as well. Um, well, in the podcast description, we'll be containing, uh, we'll be adding links to all the different projects you're talking about. Are there any final things you'd both like to say? Um, if you are interested in learning more about our conference, we are accepting post-registration. So you're still able to, um, contact us through the contact form on our website and we'll be able to give you access to the content online um, so if you want to know more about what this looked like in terms of being able to see it please feel free to get in touch wonderful well thank you both so much again and take care of yourselves and each other and listeners same for you um, sort of consider what practices in your daily life uh, can you similarly model this like very compassionate, generous way of thinking about oneself and and relationship to others. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you.